Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. Let's pray together. So, Father, when we see the uh, struggles that are happening in our world, we're drawn to um, a great sense of humility and crying out for your mercy. When we see war, we see violence. When we see um, famine, uh, we are just, um, our hearts just go out. We see the persecution of Christians around the world. And Lord, we're just drawn in humility to your mercies and ask for your, your grace to pour down on this place. Even in our own hearts, Father, we recognize our own weaknesses and our ability to be easily tempted to speak wrongly or to do something wrongly. And Lord, we, our humility just is accentuated and, and we just need you. We need your power, we need your strength, and we are so grateful that we don't live this life alone, that we have you we can trust in you, we can appreciate you, and we do. So we worship you this morning. Thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives and what you continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen. When I'm studying a narrative passage like Nehemiah, I like to put myself into the story. If, in order to do that, I have to understand the culture and the history, even the geography and the, and the, the where the sun is shining, all those things are going on in the passage. And when I put myself into the passage, then I'm able to see what's going on in Nehemiah's life and take some of the applications then and turn them over to my own life and understand what God might be doing inside of my own heart. And today we're going to do that. We're going to get into the story of Nehemiah, understand a little bit more about uh, Nehemiah's experience, and as we do, we'll catch a little bit more about applications for our lives. That's why we're here. We want to study God's Word, not just as a wisdom book, but as a book about God, a book uh, that God has shared with us so we know how to live our lives, so we know our position before God and how we can function this week. So I expect you're going to see some of that today as, again, we open up God's Word. Now, you know that Nehemiah is known for building the walls. That's what he's known for. But that he finishes in Nehemiah 6. We finished it last week. You ought to be asking the question in your mind, well, if he finished the walls, what's he going to do for the rest of the seven chapters? <laughs> and so today is one of those chapters that's very important in our Christian life because we have done some things in our lives. We've finished some things, or God has done some things in our own hearts. We need to solidify those things before we move to the next thing. That's what's happening with Nehemiah. He's going to solidify the things that are happening already before he turns his heart and God lays something else on his heart we're going to see today as he moves forward. So think about it in your own heart. What does God want you to solidify that he's already done in your life and where is he taking you next? I think that's what we're going to see today. Let's stand as we look at Nehemiah chapter 7, and I want to read to you verses 1 to 7. So if you'd stand in honor of God's word and listen to it as it's being read. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors, that means that's already done, and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was, listen to this, interesting, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, 
Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. We're going to have opening and closing hours for Jerusalem now. It's going to be not going to be open at night. It's only going to be open during these hours when the sun is hot in the morning. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. So they're going to close it at a certain point. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at the guard post and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide. This is the next thing uh, that Nehemiah is going to work on. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, this is the same book that we found in Ezra, the exact same words, the genealogies in Ezra chapter 2, and this is how it starts. These were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiled whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ra'amiah, Nahamani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpareth, Bigvi, Nehem, and Baana. And the list goes on for 67 more verses, which we will not read now. I'll spare you that. You may be seated as we continue on here. I want to go back and I, I want to talk about this solidifying that Nehemiah does. He's already built the walls and the gates. They're already there. So what does he do now? He establishes these gatekeepers. And notice I underlined the word guards at the bottom of the slide there. And you can circle those on your page. This is probably page 30 in your uh, little booklet. If you have one, if you want one of the booklets, they're on the windowsills if you don't have one. And they'll allow you to follow along with what we're doing. Circle those words because those are words where Nehemiah is saying, okay, we're gonna, we want to capture what we already have. We want to solidify what we already have. And I think in our own lives, we want to solidify things that God has already done in our life. Just think back on the last couple of years of your life. Think back on the last six months of your life or the last month. What is God doing? Because whether God, uh, whatever God is happening in the world, God is doing something in our hearts. If something bad has happened to you, you've lost someone, or you lost a job, or, or something, you've gotten sick or something, God is still working in your heart. There's an upward progression of our spiritual growth that continues up even in the midst of dark times. We continue to grow and learn new things about the Lord. We may learn in those dark times how to trust the Lord some more. Or, or we get a greater sensitivity for the pain of other people. We want to solidify those gains. Lord, thank you for providing those things. I want to protect those. I don't want to lose my sensitivity to pain as I start to feel better. I want to always be sensitive to the pain of others. Or maybe you haven't lost a job. Maybe you've got a new job, or maybe you bought a house, or things are going great for you. And in those moments, you want to solidify those gains inside of your heart. God, thank you for your grace. I want to rely on you more and trust you. I want to thank you for all the things you provided for me. It's in the midst of that that we're able to uh, experience God in a, uh, a, a greater way. Always our progression and our sanctification should be moving higher, whether it's through bad things or good things that take place in our lives. God is doing things in our hearts. He's growing them. He's solidifying them, and we want to be the gatekeepers. We want to put the guards there. Notice the guards were not only stationed at their post, they were also stationed by their homes. I think we need to guard our homes. We need to protect our homes because danger can easily creep in to those places. We want to solidify the gains that God has given to us. I think that's the first thing that we see in this passage. But notice also that he appoints these singers and the Levites. 
to worship. They're going to establish the worship. And worship is so important, so valuable, because what worship does inside of our hearts, it is acknowledges that God is great and we are small and we need him. That's what worship does. And we're drawn into this presence of God that is so great. We're just reminded that we're in need of him and that he has given to us all that we have. So we're continually trusting the Lord and growing in our lives because of worship. Worship is a powerful thing. And if you think about the Levitical worship, this worship that they experienced on a regular basis, it wasn't just the Saturday when they took off from work. That was true, that they would spend time on each Saturday uh, not working. And they would um, reflect on God had worked for six days but took that seventh day to rest. And they would worship the Lord on that day. There were 19 other feast days that they had in the course of their time. And I'm going to introduce you to those today. I want to share those or remind you what those are today because we're going to use them over the next three weeks. So this chart I'm going to throw up, you might just jot down these on your, in your workbook, if you'd like, or take a picture of the slide or whatever you want to do because we're going to come back to the same idea over time. There are seven feats that took place in a Jewish uh, festival time, ways to worship. Each one of them, very important. The first one here is this worship of Passover. This is when the people had grown uh, to this place and, and they recognized that God had the death angel passed over the house because blood was on the doorpost of their house. This is when they were coming out of Egypt. Now that's important because this, as all the other feasts, have their, um, are a perspective of Jesus Christ who's yet to come, who will fill, fulfill this in our lives. So this particular feast, this first one, is reminding the people of God's deliverance. The second one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now this one lasts seven days, and they would take these crackers. They wouldn't have any leaven or yeast in their house to remind them of how quickly they had to leave Egypt and come and, and start this new life. And uh, so they would eat crackers for this seven days during Unleavened Bread instead of bread and would remind the people of their new way of living that they would have. Then there was a day of first fruits. This is when the barley harvest started to come. And they would take a, a cup or a bowl, depending on how big their farm was, and they would take the first fruits and they would give it to the Lord as a, uh, an offering to the Lord, thanking God for his provision and his uh, gift of the harvest. And then comes the next one, the day of Pentecost. Um, and this day of Pentecost, which just happened in our calendar on June 6th, this was just this last week, it is a very important ho uh, holiday because it's recognizing the, the harvest and the harvest of the barley before the wheat comes. But it's the re recognition of this harvest uh, that God is the one who provides for us. We are so grateful for all his provisions. Here's three more. Just jot these down too. The next one is the Feast of Trumpets, which we are going to look at next week. The Feast of Trumpets is the one where you have the, it's the new year. Now, notice it's in the seventh month, first day. And you're saying, well, shouldn't new year be on the first month, first day? Well, even in our culture, our, we start over, don't we, in September. We kind of say, okay, summer's over. I'm getting ready for my next period of time here. September becomes this kind of first uh, day of the next season. That's what it was here, the the uh, Feast of Trumpets, which was their new year. And it was just a beautiful celebration of thanksgiving to God. Then the next one is the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was a special celebration, remembering, um, just remembering the atonement of God, and of course fulfilled in Jesus Christ for us, that we can recognize that we now have fellowship with God. And then lastly, this one, the shelter, this is my favorite one. This is the uh, Feast of Shelters, the Feast of Booths. 
Feast of Tabernacles. It's called all of those things. It's the week of camping. So all the people would go out and camp in their backyards. They'd build these shelters. Well, we'll talk more about it in two weeks. I'll tell you more about that feast, but it's a very special one. The point is that worship was very much a part of the Jewish culture. It was integrated into their lives, and I hope that in your worship, it's not just something we do here on Sunday morning when we sing with great leaders, beautiful instruments, and we worship the Lord. It's just great. But I hope you'll take that as practice so when you go home, you can practice on your own, and you can, um, you can enjoy worship as a lifestyle in who, with who you are. You know, in Jewish history, I just stay in Jewish history for just a moment. When something great happened, they would worship the Lord. Several times in the Old Testament, we see this. We see it not only here with Nehemiah, but we're also going to see it in, in the, when they finished the temple, when Solomon finished that great temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Let's go into that worship experience. So just get a picture of what worship looked like. And all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, and Jaduthan, their sons and kinsmen arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres. Those are like guitars. Stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. I wonder if the trumpets drowned out the guitars. I'm not sure. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, and here's the words of the song, for he is good, his steadfast love endures forever. Then the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Just imagine the worship that they experienced even in Nehemiah's time because we need to take that same worship into our own lives. Why? Because it's worship that draws us into the presence of God to recognize how great God is, how awesome he is, and how small we are because there can be a tendency when we finish the walls to think how great we are. How this, I got this new job, or I bought this house, or uh, I accomplished this, this particular activity, or I got this reward, or an award, and we say to ourselves, I'm really great. Yet worship keeps us in, in place, helps us recognize that God is the one who's at work in all of this. One time a lady said to me, after she had come to church, she had never been at church before. This was her first experience at church. And she came to church, and as she was leaving, she said, wow, I realize that I don't have a space in my life where I sing with other people. I take that so much for granted in my own life. I love singing with other people. It's part of what we do corporately, but worship is much bigger than that. That's why Paul, when he writes about worship, he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our lives are a lifestyle of worship, and Nehemiah's doing that in the, in, with the people. He's appointing the singers and the Levites to establish worship as a very important part of who they are and what they're doing. Well, let's go on in the two. That's just verse 1. I know we better keep going here. It, notice that in verse 2, it talks about this governor, the governor who's now uh, allows this person who's going to be the mayor, Hanani. But notice what it says about him because I think this is application for us. If we look back and solidify the gains that we have as Nehemiah is doing with the walls, 
we can also look at this idea of Hanani and the integrity that Hanani has as what is God doing in our own lives? What does he want us to develop in our own hearts as we're moving forward? This um, integrity, well, let's read the verse. It says, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. The word faithful is the word integrity, or it means true. Integrity means to have the internal strength to deal with the pressures from outside. Integrity means that you have the internal character to deal with the temptations that might exist out there. And when you have this internal character, you have integrity, then you can withstand some of the pressures that are out there. And so God wants to do that in each of our lives. This man was appointed because he was faithful, had integrity, and he was more God-fearing than many. We all wish that the people we elect to be government officials would be more faithful, have integrity, and more God-fearing than many. That's what we want, because those are the peoples that ought to be leading. But let's apply this to ourselves. We want to be faithful and God-fearing. What is God-fearing? Well, God-fearing is, uh, does it mean to be afraid of God? Well, I think in part it does. I do think we need to be afraid of God. He is so big, so awesome, that there's kind of this, this tension we feel. While at the same time, somehow, understanding how Jesus introduces us to God as Father, and so there's this closeness we experience. There's got to be that tension that exists. But I think the fear of God is bigger than, than just a feeling. I think it's this such an awesome respect that we allow God to, to work. Oh, oh, God, you're here? Well, you take charge then. God, I want to fit into your plans today to allow God to run our lives. Hanani was like that. He was more faithful and God-fearing than many. A great testimony to us. I, I like those ver words that are said about him there. And a good application, I think, for my life and maybe for yours as well. Let's go on into the next uh, verses. In verse 4, we see the new mission that Nehemiah is becoming aware of. It says there in verse 4, the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt. He'd worked on the walls for some time, and now he's going to start working with the people. We're going to see the shift in his life. And notice it says, and my God put it into my heart. God does that. And I'm sure God does that in your life, that sometimes he, he puts something on your heart that says, you know, I probably should step up and do that. Or I should, I should do something more in my family. Or I should do something more in this relationship. I should do something more in my church. Whatever he's saying to you, he, he lays it on our hearts. This is the beautiful thing. He says, and it just comes from hearts. It's not just come from some external reward that I'm going to get if I do this, but it just, it's on my heart to do something more. And that's what's happening with Nehemiah. It's been said, you're never too old for God to use you more. And Nehemiah is now moving into this place where, where God is laying something else on his heart. We always want to be sensitive to this plan that God has, that, that we can be a part of, that he's laying things on our hearts so that we can dovetail with others and we can serve him or we can grow our family or we can do better in our work or whatever it is. God lays it on our hearts. We want to be very sensitive to that. Well, I want to take you to one more application, and this is at the end. So if you go through all of the names of all of these people, which I'm not going to read today, although we do need to recognize that every person is important to God. Whenever I see those genealogies, that's what I think of. Every person is important to God, including you and me. But let's go down to verse 70, which you'll find on page 34 in your little booklet. And read those words because there's an un another interesting application here of people who are giving to the project. 
you know, giving financially to the project. I, I find it interesting that we have two ways that we give financially to the Lord's work. One is that we just discipline ourselves regularly to be giving out of our paycheck, that we get a certain amount each week or each month, and we dedicate a certain amount of that to the Lord. We call that our tithes that we give to the Lord's work. But then there's the offerings. This is more than the tithe. This is when there's a project, and you give to that project in one way or another. And when God is working, you want to give. That's the principle that we see here. Let me read it. It says, some of the heads of the families contributed to the project. The governor gave to the treasury 100 derricks of gold, 50 bowls, and 530 priestly garments. And some of the heads of the families gave to the treasury for the project 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. The rest of the people gave a total of 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priestly garments. So the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, and temple servants, along with some of the people and the rest of the Israelites, settled in their own towns, and by the seventh month, the Israelites had settled in their towns. Very important part that Nehemiah is playing here in the roles of these people. I just find it interesting that, and here's the principle, when God is working, God's people like to give. We see that here in this passage. As I look at this whole passage, what I see is a, a progress of, um, of spiritual activity, a progress of spiritual growth that you and I need in our lives as well. God is progressing in our lives, growing us. The process, the theological word is sanctification. It's always moving up as long as we're following the Lord. No matter what happens to us, it's always moving up. Now, if you, if you end up going the wrong direction in your life, running away from the Lord, then of course you can digress in that. But if we're serving the Lord, no matter what happens to us, we're moving in this direction. Because God is at work. He's in work in our lives. That's why I like Ephesians 2.10, which says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're all part of that process. God is doing a work in our hearts. It's a beautiful thing that he does as we're growing together or growing independently, just growing spiritually. God is at work. We see that in Nehemiah's life, and I appreciate his character and, and what he's doing. We can take those same applications and apply them to our lives. I, I spent some time just in my own thinking uh, in this idea of worship as I looked at this passage. And I'm going to teach you a song, a song that we're going to use over the next few weeks, a Hebrew song. Now, when I was in seminary, they required that you take two classes of Hebrew. I took 11 classes of Hebrew because I really liked the Hebrew language. I just enjoyed getting in and understanding the words and how different Hebrew is than, than English, certainly. And, uh, and we also talked about the culture, and we sang songs in the class. It just made an impression on me. And so I'm going to teach you a song today called Baruch Hashem. Now, I want to explain to you, because we're going to sing it in Hebrew, I want you to understand what you're singing. So I put the translation underneath in yellow. The translation is this. The words are Baruch Hashem HaMashiach Yeshua, Baruch Hashem Adonai. The words mean bless the name. Hashem means the name. Ha means the. Hashem, the name of the Messiah. Ha means the. The Mashiach, the Messiah. Yeshua. Yeshua is Savior. Baruch Hashem Adonai, which is Lord. Baruch Hashem HaMashiach Yeshua, Baruch Hashem Adonai. I think you'll get it. Sing it with me as you're able to uh, join in and get it, okay? Baruch Hashem HaMashiach Yeshua, Baruch Hashem Adonai. 
Baruch Hashem HaMashiach Yeshua Baruch Hashem Adonai Baruch Hashem HaMashiach Yeshua Baruch Hashem Adonai Baruch Hashem HaMashiach Yeshua Baruch Hashem Adonai. I think we ought to have a cymbal or something as we're playing. But you can sing it a cappella because that's how they did a lot of songs in Hebrew. Let's continue and sing it again. Baruch Hashem HaMashiach Yeshua Baruch Hashem Adonai. Baruch Hashem HaMashiach Yeshua Baruch Hashem Adonai. Baruch Hashem HaMashiach Yeshua Baruch Hashem Adonai Baruch Hashem HaMashiach Yeshua Baruch Hashem Adonai Before the worship team comes and leads us in a final song, let's sing, let's pray together. Would you stand with me? And Heavenly Father, I ask that you'd be uh, at work in our hearts. We want to grow in you. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd point out the places where we need to grow more. But also, Lord, help us solidify those gains and help us see that you are growing us, that we have made progress in our life. Sometimes, Lord, we think so much in the present that we don't recognize what you've done and what you are doing and how you're growing us. We ask you to continue to do that work. Encourage our hearts, Father. Put other things on our hearts as we follow you and become part of your plan. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.